Let's read the scriptures together in 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter four. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also.
Let's consider the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism 2 in Lord's Day 1. What is thy only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation." And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou, enjoying this comfort, mayest live and die happily? Three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. Beloved, the Apostle John exhorts us in verse 1 of the passage, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Beloved, do not believe every man who claims to be a Christian and who talks about Jesus. But test each and every one of them to see whether they are truly from God. And this is the test, according to John. Every spirit speaking through a man who confesses the truth about Jesus Christ is from God. And every spirit speaking through a man who denies some vital truth about Jesus Christ, such as the truth that he has come in the flesh or the truth that he is the Son of God, that spirit working through that man is not from God, but that spirit is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it should come. And we ought to flee from that spirit. Today, we begin to preach through the Heidelberg Catechism once again. When Frederick the Pious, the ruler of the Palatinate, a province in Germany, commissioned Zacharias Ursinus and Caspar Olavianus to write this catechism in 1563, The purpose of Frederick with the Catechism was that ministers of the Gospel would use it to teach 
the truths about Jesus Christ as revealed in the Holy Scriptures and as recovered by the Reformation to the people who lived in his province so that there would be unity in the faith to preserve that unity in the truth and to protect the churches in his realm from the doctrines of devils, from the false doctrines of those spirits of Antichrist. Our Reformed Fathers in the Netherlands adopted the Heidelberg Catechism at the Synod of Dort as an official creed of the Church because our fathers tested the spirits that wrote this catechism. And testing those spirits, they found that they did not deny any vital truth, but in fact confessed every vital truth about Jesus Christ our Lord and did so faithfully. And so our fathers adopted the catechism as an official creed of the church to preserve the unity of the truth and to protect the church from false doctrines. And because the Heidelberg Catechism was written in such a warm, wonderful, comforting style, and in a personal manner and approach, our fathers also set into motion the practice of preaching through the Heidelberg Catechism about once per year. For hundreds of years now, God has blessed the preaching of his word through the Heidelberg Catechism and used that to preserve the unity of the faith in the Reformed churches throughout the world and to protect his churches from false doctrines. But when the Catechism begins to collect dust in any particular church, when the Catechism falls into disuse, when it is no longer taught and no longer preached, the door is opened up for these other spirits, the spirits of Antichrist, to enter in and to spread lies. When the Catechism is regularly preached, faithfully preached, soundly setting forth the Word of God, that door is kept shut, and those lying spirits find it much more difficult to enter in. In other words, God blesses the preaching of this faithful catechism in Reformed churches to preserve the unity of the faith and the Christian life. And therefore, it is a very worthwhile practice. So as we make a new beginning, preaching through the catechism, let us appreciate this Reformed tradition that we have inherited. It's a tradition that points us to Christ, that highlights and exalts Jesus Christ in all of his glory and in all of his truth, and that presents Jesus Christ as our only comfort in life and death, that we belong to him. And therefore, the preaching of the catechism is the preaching of the gospel. I call your attention to Lord's Day 1 under the theme, The Only Comfort of the Believer. Notice, first, our only comfort in life and death. Secondly, the reasons for this great comfort. And finally, the enjoyment of this great comfort. As I said, the catechism is very personal. The catechism asks you personally this morning, what is thy only comfort in life 
and death. Comfort is the peace of mind, the quietness of soul, the stillness of the heart, the cheerfulness that comes when we receive some good thing while we are experiencing some great evil. That's the basic idea of comfort. A peace of mind, a quietness of soul, a cheerfulness that arises within us when we are going through and experiencing some great evil and we hear the news, the truth of some tremendously great good. Then we are comforted. What is thy only comfort in life and death? As long as we live in this world, we experience many great evils. Because we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, to use the phrase of Psalm 23. We walk through the valley of tears, to use a phrase from the Catechism itself. As long as we live in this world, we suffer many evils, many sicknesses and diseases, many trials and troubles. We lose our wife, we lose our husband, and we have to lower their body into the grave, and we have to live the rest of our days alone in widowhood. We experience loneliness. We experience the struggles of peer pressure at school when we are young, the mockery of other children, the bullying of other children, perhaps even mockery or bullying because we are Christians. We battle the devil and the temptations of the world every single day as the influences of Satan attempt to reach us, attempt to bring us down, to drag us into the miry clay of doubt and despair and fear, and to drag us into sins of all different kinds. And we do fall into sin, and we regret our sins as our consciences accuse us that we have broken God's good commandments and that what we deserve because of our sin is death. We live in this world which is nothing but a continual death, to use the words of the baptism formula. We live in a world that is a continual death. The curse of God surrounds us on every side. There is pain, there is sorrow, there is disappointment. There is discouragement. We see the church ripped apart by schisms and heresies. We see wicked men all around us. We see the world plunging deeper and deeper into sin. But always it comes back to our own sins, our own guilt and shame, and what we deserve, namely everlasting punishment in hell. There are the sufferings of this present time which the Apostle Paul lays out in Romans 8. The principalities and powers of darkness, the things of the past and the things of the future. Ah, yes, the things of the future. Those are the things which threaten to give us so much anxiety and so much fear. Whenever we think about tomorrow, when we think about the things to come, The devil tempts us to be afraid, to be anxious, to be worried. What is going to happen to me? What course is the 
my life going to take? Where is it going to end? We think about the financial uncertainties of the future. We think about accidents that are waiting to happen. We think about the tragedies that might come to us. We think about the certainty of death itself. And in our greatest temptations, we are tempted to fear that our physical death will plunge us into eternal death, knowing that we deserve, because of the mountain of our iniquities, to perish for all eternity under the heavy hand and wrath of God Almighty. And all of these things threaten to take away our peace of mind, our quietness of soul, our cheerfulness and joy. What is thy only comfort in life and death? What is the only thing that comforts you, no matter what happens to you in this world and no matter what will happen to you in the future? What is the one thing that never fails to give you peace of mind, quietness, stillness of soul? What is the only thing that can really revive you and bring a smile back to your face, cheerfulness and joy and happiness? Do not speak of any earthly comfort here. Do not speak now of the pleasures and treasures of this life, which our Lord Jesus says, do not lay them up, because moth and rust will corrupt these earthly treasures, and thieves will break through and steal them. Do not think now or speak of the amount of money you have in your bank account. Do not speak of any earthly treasures. Do not speak of your assets. Do not speak of your retirement funds and savings. Do not speak of your business or your success in this life because all of those things can be lost in a moment. When I ask you what is your comfort personally when you walk through the valley of tears and struggles, when you deal with daily problems and and trials, do not now say, my comfort is that I'm going to have a good meal in a little while or I'm going to have a good drink or I'm going to have a smoke. Because those things last, what? Nothing more than a moment. Nothing more than a few minutes. Or perhaps an hour at the most. Do not now speak of your skills. Do not speak of your education. Do not speak of your wisdom. Do not say that I am able to carve a path through this life. I am able to have a happy life. If I work hard, if I do this, or if I do that. I can achieve a happy life and live and die happily and enjoy the comforts and the pleasures and treasures of this world. I will succeed. I can do it. I have it. Do not lean on any earthly creature to give you health of body, of mind, of soul. Do not now speak of the medicines that you're taking to treat any particular ailment any particular pain in your body or in your mind or in your soul. Do not speak of as your only comfort in life and death medical technology and the fact that in this day and age we're able to go to very skilled, highly trained doctors who know exactly what to tell us, exactly what path to take, and they can help us, they can heal us, so we have comfort. Our mind is set at ease. We have peace. We have quietness of soul. 
Because as thankful as we are and ought to be for medicine and doctors and food and drink and jobs and skills and wisdom and all God's good gifts, God can make all of those things go up in a puff of smoke in a single moment. Doctors, scientists, jobs, money, they cannot give us comfort in all the circumstances of life. A doctor might deliver us from one ailment, but a doctor cannot save us from our sins, and ultimately a doctor cannot deliver us from death. What is thy only comfort, thy only comfort in life and death? The Catechism indicates that there is such a thing. You see, the world has only this list of things that we have mentioned, and the world seeks its comfort in those things, and it has nothing more, which is simply to say that the world has no comfort. The world ultimately has only despair. The same Apostle John warns us in chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. The world passeth away. Your money will pass away. Your health will pass away. Your doctor will pass away. All of your food and drink, it will all pass away. Your house, your possessions, your good times, the things that make you smile, the things that make you happy, all of them will pass away. What is thy only comfort? Thy only comfort in life and in death. In answer to that question, take these words on your lips and say and believe them in your heart that I, with body and soul, in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is my only comfort in life and death. That is my only comfort, no matter what happens to me now or in the future. That is my only comfort in all of the circumstances of life. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, This is my comfort, my only comfort, my all-inclusive comfort. I'm not my own, but I belong to him. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ's. And Christ is God's. And in chapter 6 of the same epistle, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What is your only comfort in life and death? Believe this in your heart and say this with your lips. This is my only comfort. 
that I am not my own. I do not belong to myself. I am not my own possession. I don't own my own body. I don't own my own soul. I don't own my own mind. I don't own my own life. I don't belong to myself. I am not my own possession. That's my comfort. Because if I am my own, if I do belong to myself, then that means I'm alone as well. It means I'm alone in this world. Even if I have a husband or wife or children or parents, I am alone. I am all alone, all by myself, left to fend for myself, left to heal myself, to save myself, to rescue myself. As I grow closer and closer to the end of my life, and I know that death is the portal to everlasting hell, I must rescue myself from that everlasting death if I belong to myself. I must lift myself up out of this sin and misery by my own strength and by the strength of man. If I belong to myself, what a misery, what an absolute misery. It means I look for comfort everywhere, here and there, and I do not find it. Because we are foolish. If I am my own, then I can never find any comfort in this world. This is my comfort, my only comfort, my always comfort, that I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, with body and with soul, in life and in death. Jesus owns me. Jesus has the rights to me. Jesus has taken responsibility for me. Jesus has wrapped his arms around me and said, Mine, mine, this one is mine. This one belongs to me. I own him. I own her. In life and in their death, in their body and in their soul, their whole life, their whole being, their whole existence belongs to me. This is my property. I stake my hold here. That's my comfort. I belong to Jesus. Jesus. My future, my fate, my destiny, it is all bound up in Jesus. In life and death, in body and soul. And as the Apostle Paul teaches, because we belong to Jesus, we belong to God. You are Christ's, and Christ is God's. If you belong to Christ, then you belong to God. That is my only comfort in life and death. I belong to God. God owns me. God has the rights to me. God has possession and responsibility for me in my life and my death. My whole fate and destiny and future are bound up in God. And that's why the scriptures tell us again and again and again, he's my God. He's my God, and I am one of his people. That's the covenant promise. He is my refuge and my strength, my shepherd, my strong high tower, and to whom I can flee. He is my comfort. God is my comfort. I belong to him. Body and soul, in life and death. Is that your comfort in life and death? Your only comfort. When you're in the hospital, 
when you're lying on the sickbed, when you're going to the valley of the shadow of death, when your tears are falling, when your mind is full of fear and anxiety, to whom, to what do you turn? I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, with body and soul, in life and death. Now why is that such a tremendous comfort? That's a tremendous comfort because belonging to Jesus and therefore belonging to God, I belong to the almighty, sovereign, everywhere present creator of the heavens and the earth, and he loves me. He loves me. The Catechism puts it this way, without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. I belong to Christ and to God, and God this almighty, omnipotent, great God, the only true God, is my Father who loves me and who will not let anything bad happen to me. He will not even let one single hair from my head fall to the ground unless it is part of his perfect plan for my life. Because he makes all things subservient to my salvation. And so we see that our only comfort in life and death is that God in Christ loves me. He loves me. He truly, truly, everlastingly loves me. That's the message of John in this epistle. We read it. God is love, John says. And in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us. He loved us. When I am sick, I can lay hold upon this. He loves me. When I'm suffering, when I'm alone and lonely, when I'm facing surgery, when I'm facing troubles, God loves me and I belong to him. He's my father and he wants only what is good for me. When I'm at school mocked and bullied and pushed, when I'm tempted, when I fall into sin, when I feel my conscience accusing me, then I lay hold upon this, but God loves me and I belong to him in body and soul and life and death. And therefore I know that he makes all things work together for my good. He makes all things work together to serve my salvation. All things must be subservient to my salvation, the Catechism says. As the Apostle says in Romans 8, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Because he loves us. He predestinated us unto everlasting life. His love means that before the foundation of the world, he willed and ordained to give life to us, everlasting life. He wants to dwell with us, and he wants us to dwell with him in his house, in his glorious, heavenly, eternal home, forever and ever and ever. 
and sweet covenant communion. That's my comfort in life and death. And if that's true, if God loves me, then I know that all things have to be for my good in this life. Again, Paul in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall principalities or powers or things present or things to come? Or life or death? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that none of these things is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that includes things to come. Things in the present Paul says, all things are yours, things past and things to come. So don't be afraid. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Because God loves you. He truly, truly loves you. And he will only do what serves your good. That's why the Apostle John In the chapter that we read, he goes on to say, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. The day of judgment is in the future. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love, We love him because he first loved us. There is no fear in love. When we grasp in our hearts, deep in our hearts, truly grasp by faith that God, the great and almighty God, loves me, that love which is perfected in our hearts casts out all fear, casts it away, and gives us comfort peace of mind, quietness of soul, cheerfulness and joy. And as we look into the future and we don't know what will come, we don't know what will happen, we don't know the tragedies, we don't know the possible adversities, our mind is at ease. I belong to my faithful Savior. I belong to my God in heaven who loves me. I have nothing to fear. And when I come to the end of life's journey and I think back on all of my sins, that great mountain of sin and all those regrets, and I realize that I'm going to die, what then is my comfort? That I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, I belong to my God, and he loves me. I can close my eyes in death, in peace, when I know that God loves me, and I belong to him. In the second place, the reason it is such a great comfort to belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, is that he died for me. 
How do I know that God loves me? Verse 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us. In this, because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's why it is such a comfort to belong to Jesus. Because he came into this world to be the propitiation for my sins. Propitiation, satisfaction, reconciliation. He came into the world to give himself as a sacrifice. He came into the world as the perfect, spotless lamb, righteous and holy and perfect, and to sacrifice himself on the cross to shed his perfect, precious blood. The Son of God in human flesh to lay down his life on the cross so that he might fully satisfy for all my sins. That's why it is such a comfort to belong to him. Why do I belong to him? Because he bought me. He purchased me, not with silver, not with gold, but by the shedding of his own precious blood on that cross. That's how he purchased me. That's when he bought me. What a comfort. What a comfort when I sin and when I fall back into sin again and again and again and I know that I have broken all of God's commandments and I can't keep any of them. I belong to my faithful Savior and he has already fully satisfied, already fully paid the price by the shedding of his precious blood on the cross for me. And by that same precious blood, he has delivered me from all the power of the devil. So that as I walk through this valley of tears and death and temptations and trials, and the devil ceases not to assault me, And I feel the pressure of his temptations. I I feel his influence upon me. I feel his accusations. And the power of his devilish finger and whispering lips. Then what is my comfort as I have such a great and mighty foe that I belong to a greater Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who by his precious blood has already fully delivered me from all the power of the devil. He can't touch me. He can't take me. He cannot take possession of me. He's crushed under the heel of Christ. That great red dragon has no rights to me whatsoever. In the third place, Why is it such a comfort to belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? Because He so preserves me. He preserves me. In body and soul, in life and death, He preserves me. He carries me. Through this life, 
with a view to giving me the fullness of salvation in time to come. What a comfort. Because if left to ourselves, would we not renounce our faith in an instant? Would we not walk away from the church in an instant? Would we not go into the world and take hold of all of its pleasures and treasures just like that? We cannot continue believing in this Savior. We cannot continue clinging to Him. We cannot continue abiding in Him. We cannot continue walking with Him and following Him. We can't. But this is my comfort. He preserves me. So that I do. I do continue believing in Him. I do continue following Him. I do continue walking with Him and abiding in Him. What a comfort. The power of the precious blood of the Lamb is the power that preserves me from day to day and moment to moment in body and soul, in life and death, so that not even the greatest temptation that could possibly come to me has the power to take me out of His hands. Fourthly, the reason it is such a great comfort to belong to Jesus Christ is that he also assures me by his Holy Spirit of eternal life. What a comfort. Because my faith is so weak. I am so prone to doubt, to fear, to uncertainty. If left to myself, I would lose all my assurance in an instant. If left to myself, I could not have assurance of eternal life. I could not be sure. I could not be certain that I'm going to heaven when I die on good grounds of certainty. There are many people who think they will have everlasting life, but they have no good grounds for that certainty. It's a false certainty. But I am certain of eternal life on good grounds, the good grounds that Christ, by his precious blood, has earned it for me and gives it to me. And this is part of my comfort, that by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of that. He assures me. So that I do not sink in the quicksand of despair until I'm swallowed up in that darkness of doubt and fear to my perishing. I belong to God who loves me. He doesn't want that to happen to me, and He won't let that happen to me. But even when I feel myself sinking like Peter sinking in the waters of the Sea of Galilee, crying out to the Lord, Save me, Lord! The Lord will take hold of us, pull us up. He always does. And assure me again of eternal life. 
One of the great concerns of the scriptures is that we will have assurance of eternal life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Why did John sit down to write this epistle to those saints? Because by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wanted their joy to be full. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That's why I wrote these things to you. You must not doubt. You must not fear. I wrote these things to you so that you would know, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you would know that you have eternal life. Fifthly and finally, why it is such a great comfort to belong to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ is that he doesn't even stop there. But he also makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. What a comfort that is too. We are not able to conjure up within ourselves the willingness and the readiness to live unto Christ. We're not able to conjure that up. If left to ourselves, all that we can conjure up is a willingness and a readiness to sin and a love of sin and an indulging in sin. But my only comfort in life and death is that my faithful Savior, you won't let that happen to me. I belong to him. He is my Lord and he rules in my life and he works in my heart and he gives to me the willingness and the readiness henceforth to live unto him. And if he didn't give that to me, if he didn't give me that, so that he left me to walk in my own ways, then I would indulge in sin and I would lose, as the Canons of Dort puts it, I would lose, at least for a time, the sense of his favor and love and therefore all my comfort. The Lord Jesus Christ works in us to make us henceforth sincerely willing and ready to live, to live our lives unto him. So that we confess with the Apostle Paul, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And we follow the Lord, and we live for the Lord. We seek the Lord. We love the Lord. That's his work in us. The Apostle John writes in the chapter that we read, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And then he points them to the love that God has toward us. And then he goes back again in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, that's the fruit that's the evidence that God dwells in us and we dwell in him when we love each other. 
We're living unto Christ. He works that in us by calling us to it and through his spirit making us sincerely willing and ready to live that way. That's why. That's why it is our only comfort in life and death that we belong to our faithful Savior and therefore we belong to God. How then do we enjoy such a great comfort so that we can live and die happily? We enjoy it by the hearing of the preaching of the word of God. The hearing of the preaching of that gospel from Lord's Day to Lord's Day in all of its parts. And the Catechism points us to three major and important parts of that gospel that we must hear preached. First of all, I must know how great my sins and miseries are. If I am to live and die happily, I must know, I must be given a true and accurate knowledge of what my misery is and what my sins are and how great they are and how terrible they are and how damn worthy they are before God. I have to know that. I have to know how great of a sinner I am or I can't enjoy this comfort, this sweet, sweet comfort. And mind you, catechism doesn't say that what I need to know is merely the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of depravity, the doctrine of the fall, the doctrine of original sin, of Adam and Eve and all the rest. But what I need to know through those doctrines is how great my sins and miseries are. Mine. I need a personal knowledge of my own sins and miseries. Don't you see that otherwise, if I don't have that knowledge, I see no need for this Savior. And I have no use for him. How many in this world go through life ignorant of how great their sins and miseries are, all the while indulging in the most terrible debauchery and manifesting the depravity of the human race in the most wretched ways and developing deeper and deeper into darkness and sin, and yet they have no true and accurate knowledge of the greatness of their sins and miseries and how damn worthy they are. I need that. You need that. That's first. Because then in the second place, we need to know how we may be delivered from these sins and miseries. That is, we need the gospel preached to us. When we have the law preached to us to show us how great our sins and miseries are, then we need that law preached to us for the sake of the gospel. We need the gospel preached to us, how we may be delivered from these sins and miseries through Christ Jesus. As John writes in verse 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We need to learn that 
we need to hear that again and again and again. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of the world. There is no other Savior. Jesus is the Savior who laid down his life on the cross. And there is no other way of deliverance than Christ alone. Mind you again, the Catechism isn't saying that what I need is merely to hear the doctrine of salvation. I don't just need to hear clearly, carefully defined the doctrine of regeneration, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of the cross. But through the preaching of those true doctrines, I need to hear how I may be delivered. Me. Me. How I can be delivered from my sins and miseries. And what is my only comfort in this world? I belong to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. If we don't have that gospel preached to us in all of its purity and power, then just like other men, we look elsewhere for our comfort. Thirdly, I need to know how I may express my gratitude for such deliverance. That is, I need to learn the commandments of God, not only to show me my sins and miseries, but also as a guide for the thankful Christian life and response to God for all that he has done for me through Christ, so that I can learn how to obey him, how to give thanks to him, how to live unto him, how to pray to him. I need to learn that, how to love God and to love my neighbor as myself. Because gratitude does not automatically rise out of me. Gratitude arises out of me when Christ is preached to me and when I am then told the way I ought to live in thankfulness to him. Through that preaching, gratitude wells up in the heart of the true believer. And walking in the way of gratitude, I experience this comfort in life and death. That's what I need. That's what you need. So, beloved, try the spirits, whether they be of God. For there are many false prophets gone out into the world, many false teachers. Try, test the spirits of Zacharias Ursinus and Caspar Lavianus, who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism almost 500 years ago. Test the spirits of our Reformed fathers who adopted this catechism at the Synod of Dort as an official creed of the churches and a faithful summary of the leading points of doctrine in the scriptures. And test the spirit of your own pastor as he explains these Lord's days, as he preaches these scriptures to you. This is the test. Does the spirit that I am listening to faithfully, soundly set forth the truths, the vital truths of Jesus Christ, or does he deny them? When you hear that spirit rejoice, in your only comfort in life and death. And may that spirit sound forth from this pulpit.
Amen. Our Father and our God, we give thanks to thee for the gospel of Christ. As dying sinners living in a dying world, we thank thee for thy love, manifested to us in the death of thy Son. And we thank thee for thy love, proclaimed to us in the gospel, and for giving to us an only and sufficient comfort, no matter what this life brings, and even as we face death. Give it to us, O God, and fill our hearts with the joy, the peace, and the quietness of mind of those who put their trust 